Hello again folks, it's Marty Ross, your local Aaron storyteller, here with the fourth of five episodes of our tale of The Ballad of the Driftwood Mermaid. Our story so far. Young couple Doug and Sarah, freshly moved to the Galloway coast, have just had a serious marital falling out. And Sarah has fled from there to the, to the embrace of the mysterious Finn. Finn who has carved an uncannily lifelike sculpture of Sarah out of driftwood. Doug, meanwhile, has heard from a, from a local old man, Pete, more of the legend of the, of the supposedly haunted shipwrecks out in the bay. He had enough indeed for Doug to start, to start seriously worrying about Sarah's safety and realising, moreover, how much he loves her. Running to the beach where he knows Finn keeps all his strange driftwood sculptures, Doug finds Sarah lying there naked in the surf, seemingly all but drowned. He rescues her, revives her, and carries her home. <sighs> At last, after a, a climb up the zig-zagging path that seemed endless, Doug reached at last the top of the cliff and carried Sarah on, on the, the few steps that, that took them to their house. Inside he wasted no time in carrying Sarah on to the great warm rug before the fireplace, setting her there, uh, grabbing a, a tartan rug, draping and wrapping it about her, her still naked and shivering form while he, he, he lit the kindling beneath the, the logs already set in place for their return from the pub. Soon a great blaze in the open hearth was filling the, the open plan living room with its, its heat and its dancing orange-red light. And in that light... Sarah looked up at Doug with reviving life, with a, with, with a smile to make mock of the conflict between them earlier that night. I'll, I'll, um, I'll go upstairs, just wait a sec, he said, uh, uh, grab your robe, your nightgown. But as he began that move, her hand reached out to him from under the wrap of the tartan rug grasping Doug's wrist, holding him there. No, she said, I won't let you go. I love you, Doug. And after all the evening's upsets, it's, it's quarrel, it's terror, it's flailings about on the, on the sheerest edge of death. This, that touch, that smile, seemed as simple and 
astonishing as a miracle, all the more so as, as she drew him gently down towards her kiss. There was a, a, a taste of salt about her lips, as was, he supposed, only to be expected after her near drowning, but the but the wild sea it spoke of stirred a, a wildness in, in, in his own matching of that kiss, as if the embrace it led to was a, a, a tide, a warm tide they were both happy to, 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 to ride at the back of and have sweep them away. There on the rug, in front of the fire. It was as if all the tensions between them, not only from that night, but from, but from all those difficult months proceeding down in London, all the, all the, all the fights, his furtive infidelities, her failed suicide, had all been cast off with their clothing. Nothing between them now but the raw human warmth and need which had brought them together in the first place. Afterwards, Sarah drifted off into sleep and Doug lay alongside her, wide awake, elated with relief, letting his, his eyes wander the landscape of her beauty as she lay there curled on her side. He thought of how close once again he had come to to losing her, fell to wondering what she had been doing there on the beach, how she had come to be lying there naked, no no sign of her clothes, but a, a, another suicide attempt, a, a a skinny dip that had got out of hand or or something something to do with, with that guy who was always hanging around the beach down there the, the, the one responsible for those grotesque sculptures but Doug dreaded to think about such things and, and besides Sarah lay there in a, in a sleep that seemed untroubled by any recent trauma, a doze blissful as innocence itself. He reached out a gentle hand, caressed its fingertips lightly along the the curve of her hip, her waist, her belly, her breasts, feeling as if he, as if he absorbed her calm by way of those caresses, settling any stubborn anxieties in his own mind. Only only he, he hadn't 
noticed before those wrinklings on her uppermost hip. Even a, a second before, as he'd as he'd stroked that skin, he had neither felt nor seen it, and and now, now it seemed quite a quite a considerable stretch of mottled, even fissured flesh. Wrinklings from her from from her immersion in the in the seawater, like the like the like the prunings you got below your 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 fingertips if you if you stayed too long in the bath. No. No, he he reached out again, touched tentatively that precise area of skin. It felt hard, hardly like like skin at all almost almost like her eyes opened she stared at him her 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 stare so deep and dark the the smile widening on her face bearing the the whiteness of her teeth my love she murmured, reaching out towards him as he as he drew his own hand back sh- sharply. But the fingers she stretched his way where he, he could see lengthening and growing sharper, more jagged at their tips, the skin wrinkling pitting even as beyond the fullness and smoothness of her breasts shrank away, flattened and then sunk against the line of her chest, becoming like like knots in wood, in old wood. All her skin likewise Shriveling, toughening to a texture like that of of wave-battered, salt-scarred, driftwood. Sarah! He cried, leaping to his feet. Sarah! Sarah! She echoed. Sarah! Raising herself more slowly from the hearth rug. Her face, her beautiful face, contorting its features till they seemed scarcely features at all, more akin to the the rough pittings and twistings and warpings. Of, of some ancient tree trunk, even even her hair, her soft wealth of hair shifting upon her head, and likewise between her thighs to such mess of black bladder rack seaweed as might 
as might cling to a length of sea-battered wood as the tides bounced it around. The jagged indentation where a mouth had been moments before snarled itself wider, bearing in place of teeth what looked like like splintered fragments of embedded seashell, a froth of seawater bubbling, spilling from the sides of the gash-like grin, uh, accompanied by words he began to to, to realise, which which echoed and mocked his own words down on the beach. Sarah, no, my love, not Sarah, no. The thing was fully upright now on feet, lengthening, contorting till they resembled the the twisting, tangling reach of exposed tree roots carrying the figure toward him in lurching steps, its arms, its spikily extending fingers reaching closer still it's me won't lose you can't lose you you here i love you the splintered wood at one finger end almost scraped his skin he turned ran for romance's sake he had turned the lights off leaving the fire's light the sole illumination in the ground floor's open-plan space, which meant he was now stumbling naked through a mess of restless amber shadows, tripping and fumbling his way up the carpeted steps that took him towards the nearest of the house's sliding glass doors. The pursuing apparition, with its intensifying stink, of damp wood and rotting seaweed not far behind. Doug threw himself against the glass door, grabbed the handle that would slide it open. He rattled at it hard. It was locked. He looked back across to where his, yes, there, to where his clothes lay discarded on the floor by the fire his clothes with the house keys in the pocket of his trousers. That rearing, reaching thing like an uprooted tree now directly between him and them. I won't lose you, can't lose you, it was saying. Our home here, how perfect things are going to be, Doug ran on, on along the line of sliding glass doors, rattling, tugging at every one, praying he might have been careless enough to leave, to leave one unlocked. It turned out he was too reliable a householder for that. The thing it kept lurching after him. You won't get away from me. Won't let you. I'll never, never, never let you go. He turned 
ran on across that upper level in the blindest of panics, searching for, 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 for some route of escape. The stairs, too far. Too much space for the creature to, to, to lurch into, blocking his path. No, there, there, a door. In the dancing fiery light, he hardly recalled what door it was, but he, he tugged it open anyway. A mess of heavy objects clattered down about him, and he had to leap clear almost back into the creature's grasp. Won't let you go! Won't let you go! It was, he realised, just his storage cupboard in the corner past the sliding doors. A mop a sweeping brush and an ironing board having tumbled out of it. He, he, he grabbed the mop, hurled it back at his pursuer. The pathetic excuse for a weapon smacked aside by one of those branch-like arms. You won't get away from me. How perfect things are going to be. Doug was about to run on on towards the kitchen area when he, yes, yes, he recalled something else stored in that cupboard. Ducking forward into it, groping in the shadows of the of the far corner, the firelit shadow of the creature falling across him as the creature itself filled the doorway at his back, blocking his exit. I won't let you go. But he found what he sought. The axe he used to, to, to chop wood for the fire embedded in its wooden block. He, he, he wrenched it clear, spun about even as the gnarled wood and salty stink of the monstrosity filled the tight space of the cupboard. Here, here, let me... with the axe, focusing his hackings on the near most of the outstretched claws. Blade smacked into wood again, again, again. The parody of a wrist splintering, the mockery of a hand dropping at an angle before being hacked, hacked, hacked off entirely. The severed claw Dropping, dropping on its back on the stone floor at his feet. No sooner had it landed than it was hopping, hopping, hopping about on the floor like some wickerwork toad independent of the rest of the creature. An instant later it was scuttling towards, leaping at his ankle, ah, 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 fixing its jagged fingers around the ankle, almost wretching with panic. Doug hacked, hacked, hacked downward, trying to, to knock it off, reckless of how close the axe blade was coming to his own skin and bone. By chance, more than cunning, he managed to fix the blade in the back of the hand, wrenching it away, even as the claw of the other hand came fumbling, fumbling about his throat with a cry of panic and disgust. He threw himself at his attacker, blindly swiping with the axe, sending both himself and the creature tumbling back out of the cupboard. He scrambled to his feet, 
his tools, kicking the dropped axe, allowing him to, 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 to pick it up again, even as the creature made its own upward start. The severed hand he saw was still fixed, twitching to the blade, but a swing of the axe sent it hurtling back towards its owner as he ran on his route to the sliding doors now blocked so that he had to run back on the raised kitchen level towards the area by the fireplace where his run had started and where his clothes and his keys still lay. The creature continued after him extending its intact claw, its snarling grin unaffected by the splintered stump it bore on the other side. Won't lose you, can't lose you, you're here, my love, my love, you're here. In the kitchen area, he rattled open a drawer full of knives and with his free hand hurled one after the other at his attacker, his haste aiming none of them with the precision required to make the blade stick, let alone obstruct the lurching pursuit. Fresh start, my love, just you and me and no one else. He ran on, on towards the steps, descending to the area by the fireplace, but took the first step too quick in the half-light, tripping and falling the rest of the way. The axe flying from his hand as he landed, full length with a grunt by the rug before the fire. Here, let me, cried the thing, leaping after him. He slid away on his back, fumbling for the axe handle. The creature threw itself across his prone form, fixing that remaining claw about his throat. I love you, how perfect my love, never let you go. He he found the axe, swung it upward, hacked it again, 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 through what passed for a shoulder on the apparition within a few fierce blows the whole wooden arm had come away from the body. (laughs) He put a bare foot in the creature's belly, kicked the remainder of the body back with all his might then then, then wriggled upright using axe and hand to unfix a claw of the severed arm from his throat before hurling the whole arm into the fire. Seeing it instantly catch light. The triumph of this lasted but a second before the remainder of the creature, now with only one stump of an arm and both its claws gone, tilted after him stubbornly, that mockery of a head still leering at him. Won't lose you, never let you go home. How perfect, never let you go. I love you, never let you go, never let you go. He, he, he hacked at the neck below, hacked and hacked and hacked until the head dropped off, bouncing and rolling on the floor straight to his feet and still severed 
it grinned and beard its broken shell teeth won't lose you here never 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 let you go he sank the end of the axe in the side of the head lifting it up hurling the head into the flames after the arm only to see the burning arm leaping 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 about in a spasmodic dance scuttling 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 its way back out of the fire like a like a flame red lobster its finger ends making the hearth side rug start to smolder he hacked the axe blade into the back of it lifting it back into the heart of the flames only to see it jump 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 about as restless as ever the head nearby stretching its grin wider even as its seaweed hair blazed high won't get away from me my love he was distracted from this by the rest of the narrowed wood body now headless throwing itself against him trying to butt 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 him off his feet by blind blank force he swung the axe high smacked it down cracking hacking through the thick of the splintering frame still it came at him still he struck and struck and struck until its upright form was broken top down into fragments and splinters and every broken chunk large enough to be caught hold of he he cast into the fire which now roared and leapt with the surfeit of wood and in the thick of those flames he saw every broken piece join the general devil dance burning pieces jumping onto the smouldering near edge of the hearth rug and having to be swept back into the blaze as best he could manage with the blunt edge of the axe before long he he gave up stumbling back fumbling his way into his clothes drawing the rug further away from the flames only to see the same fiery fragments leap as keenly onto the exposed pine wood floor he gave them one last swipe back into the flames then turned and ran thoughts sharpened sharp sharp as an alarm set off in his head sharpened back to thoughts of of what had become of sarah the real sarah wherever she was keys recovered from his trouser pocket he unlocked a sliding glass door and ran out 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 into the night he dashed dashed to the cliff's edge looked straight down down at the beach below scanning the moonlit sand for some some trace of the of the real sarah lying perhaps close by where he where he'd found that that monstrous imitation of her but only the driftwood sculptures and their spiderish moonlit shadows showed themselves and further out the rusty grindings from the wave-battered hull of that all but submerged tanker offered 
in line with the old man's story in the pub. A likelier explanation of where Sarah, the real Sarah, might be. Doug turned, scalped his steps, swift down the track to the village. The old man, uh, Pete, he said his name was, he at least seemed to have some grasp on the, on the reality of these things so far beyond any reality Doug had ever known. If he, if he could only catch up with Pete, find out what the, what the options were in, in a situation so, so impossible. But he reached the pub only to find it locked up, sealed tight in darkness. He, he rattled the front door all the same. Didn't these country places sometimes have uh, late-night lock-ins for their, 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 their oldest soaks? But the low stump of a building in the harbour street hadn't even an echo of his own voice to send his way. He stepped back, sagging with bafflement as to what to do next, glancing up and down a, a narrow street empty of anything but him standing there at a complete dead end. And then, in the stillness, he heard a sound of, of singing from the far side of the building. I'm forever blowing bubbles, pretty bubbles in the air. Doug hurried around the far corner. They fly so I never reach the sky. Then like my hopes they There, in a narrow alleyway rank with weeds, old Pete stood, shaking off a few last drips and squirts of steaming urine. Pete! Doug cried. Startled, the old man stuffed himself back inside his trousers, squinting through the gloom. Who's yon? he said. Who's that there? It's me, Pete. It's... Oh, I... Well, uh, uh, as you see, uh, yon whiskey didn't he, uh, quite uh, dry me up like I thought. N -n Never mind that, said Doug, starting forward. M -m -m my wife, Sarah, what, what, what you said, it it's true. It's true, Peter. I, I thought I found her on the beach, but it, it wasn't her. It was, it was something else, something made out of, I don't, I don't know, wood, dead wood. Why, said Pete. Well, I, though, uh, they'll do that sometimes, so they will. Take the real person, leave behind an, an imitation, something they make out uh, well, sometimes it's wood. Oh, aye, and sometimes it's worse, worse. Well, sometimes they make it out the skin and bone of a dead animal. Oh, imagine the stink off that. It, it came to life, Peter. Well, it wasn't her, no, not the real Sarah. Now, now, now I have to know where the real Sarah's gone. Gone? 
For the sound of all you're saying, they've got her. I know they've got her. How do I get her back? You don't. What? You can't. Oh, c come on, people. What do I do? There must be something. What I, I don't know. I could call the police, the Coast Guard. It's no exactly their jurisdiction. Now, is it? Of course not, a silly me. Then, then what do I do? I tell you, there's nothing you can do. Nothing maybe but what I did. All them years ago, when I washed a whole boatload of mates out there in that water. Which is get your own backside as far inland as you can manage. Be glad it's safe at least. Spin whatever story they are. The authorities and your own loved ones will believe. Try and forget all that's happened. Make a stab at starting some other kind of life. You, you only manage it. Know if you're anything like me. But well, I suppose the failed attempt will, like with me, give you something to fill the time with. That's not good enough, said Doug, grabbing the old man's scrawny arm as he tried to ease past him in the narrow space. She can't be far, wherever she is, and wherever she is, I can get her back. If you'll only tell me, I'm telling you straight, said the old man. She can't be got back. She must have been well on her way out there by the time you, you toasted me good night. Out there? What's that? Out where? Where do you think? I, I think I know where, said Doug, but I want you to tell me. The haunted ships, said Pete. Where else? Those wrecks, said Doug. Out there, well, well that, that can't be more than, I don't know, a mile out. You have a boat, don't you? Do I? You told me, Doug Prest, a, a rowing boat, hooking Pollock for your tea and so on. We can row out there, can't we? Out there, said Pete. No, we can't. Well, I'll do the rowing if that's the problem. It's no the rowing that's the problem, replied Pete. If you face what you're telling me you face, then you know fine well what the problem is. At the beginnings of it, at least, because I'm telling you. What's out there? On them ships? Must be a thousand times worse. The, 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 then lend me the boat, said Duggan. Uh, I'll row out there myself. You're at your mind, rich man, said Pete. I, I love my wife, said Doug. I've been an, an idiot to her sometimes, but, but, but not tonight, not any more. She's out there somewhere, and I'm going to get her back. And I'm asking your help, even if it's if it's only the loan of a boat and a couple of oars. Pete stared a long moment at the young fool stood there in the moonlight, and remembered the young fool he had been all those years before. And recalled how much he had hated himself and for how long over how little he'd done for, for those he'd left behind when, when doing something might still have been a possibility. A remote possibility at least. 
Come on, young fella, I said. My boat's just in the harbour here. You'll need a few other things to be taken with you. That's if you're planning on going in there with more than your, uh, your charm to get you by. I've got what you might, you'll maybe need in my wee shed down there. That plus a spare set of oars. A spare set, asked Doug as they headed down towards the harbour. I'm no end someone off as heat as you have sole control of my boat now, am I? said Pete. Thank you, said Doug. Don't thank me too hard, Pete replied. I'll help you row out there, but that's it. If it's doing inside them ships you're going, then you're gone there alone. I'm an old fool, obviously, but I'm nobody suicidal. Row me out there, said Doug. I'll take care of the rest and uh, try to stop a, a little short of suicide. Aye, well, said Pete. There's the trick. Making that stop when you need to. And harder, I'm sure, with all that water under you than here in the dry land. But it's up to you to hold your breath. Come on. Cold. Hard. Metal. Damp metal. Stink of rust. Sound of of waves booming, echoing close by. Scraping at torn steel. Resounding like no waves in the open air. Like ocean boxed in a metal coffin. Sarah woke, opened her eyes, looked up. No stars now, a grey blankness flecked with dirty red. Am I, am I dead and buried, she thought for a moment, but buried at sea. Shivered harder, her, her, her clothing soaked, tang of salt to every thread. She, she, she sat up straight. Finn stood there wrapped in shadow. Where am I? she asked. Where do you think? he replied. And she knew, glancing about the great black metallic space, precisely where she was. The roof curving above her. The puddled seaweed strewn barnacled floor, the rusted rivets everywhere like reddened eyes in the gloom. That ship, she said, that uppermost ship, the, the wreck, the, the tanker out on the reef, 
Another wave boomed nearby in confirmation. She stood the the floor seeming to rock slightly with even so modest a movement as that. How did I get here? she asked, thinking of the the gulf of rough water now dividing her from the shore, from home, from even the the semblance of safety. Don't you remember? he replied. I thought that I, I, I thought that was a was a dream. This, he smiled. This is no dream. Dreams are what you've left behind. Silly, stifling dreams. Dehydrated, dry land dreams. No depth to them. Domestic content and dying slowly. Dully. Staring from a distance at grander things. Here's reality. A wondrous reality. The brink of it anyway. And I'm going to awaken you to it like you've never been wakened before. If you let me. He was again extending her way. A hand with with slightly webbed fingers. This, she said, weary of taking the hand. This is the wondrous reality of a of a rusting boat hull. Forgive me if, I, if, if I'm less than enthused. I told you, he said, stepping forward and firmly taking her hand. This is just the brink, the entranceway. Come, over here. And he led her a few steps to a square opening in the floor, although she had grasped by now that with the wrecked ship lying on its side in the water, the supposed floor had once been a wall, and this horizontal opening once a, a vertical hatchway. Now, through it and almost to the lip of the opening, the blackest water lapped. Down there, said Finn, standing with her at the edge of the water. There in the depths, the dark depths, there's where your new reality shows its most brilliant colours. Hold my hand tight and I'll show you. D -d down there, she echoed, I, I can't, I'll, I'll drown, I'll die. You didn't drown getting here, did you, he said. You trusted me then, trust me now. And trust me in the same way, kiss me, go on. And you kiss the sea itself. And having kissed the sea, you'll be able to, to breathe the sea. And breathing the sea, you'll be at one 
with the sea and life not death will be waiting there for you he kissed her and his kiss was stronger than ever with the tang of salt and still more than before she found she could meet his kiss with a with a strength a, a bite even of her of her own they they drew apart he steered her towards the sheerest brink of the of the drop into the black water below she was terrified and that flutter of fear at her heart felt like a a buoyancy to hold her her spirit at least afloat and swift however deep the dark terror the thought struck her might just be the warning a total revelation gives you still hand in hand they dropped through the hatch and the black water had them And there, folks, we leave our second last episode of the Ballad of the Driftwood Mermaid. Back in my introduction to, to our very first episode, I mentioned, you might recall, that I drew inspiration from the, the local legend of the, the haunted ships, as collected by folklorist Alan Cunningham. But I also mentioned finding the original story slightly anticlimactic in that it didn't make a fullest use of its most brilliantly creepy idea. In the original, you see the, the fairies, the spirits as here, make an artificial imitation of the leading lady out of, out of dead wood. But in the original tale, they, they don't actually get round to doing anything with it. After a climactic storm, the, the wooden effigy is found on the doorstep. Uh, but the supernatural forces, they, they never actually get round to, to swapping it for the real woman. Now, as playwright Anton Chekhov once said, don't bring a gun on stage unless you're planning on having someone fire it. In tonight's episode, I, I fired the figurative gun, unlike the original story. I hope it didn't give you... Too bad a case of the creeps. At any rate, I'll be back here next week, same time, same place, to bring you our final dramatic episode of the Ballad of the Driftwood Mermaid. If you ever want to have a, another night free of dark and troubling dreams of uh, strange living dead wooden creatures coming after you, I suggest you be there. Good night.